Tuesday, October 9th, 2018. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City right here in Denver, Colorado. And you know, we get together every single weekday. We talk sports with a dose of common sense. Hopefully, we can make you laugh at the world of sports, at least here or there. We are happy to have you here with us today. Happy Tuesday to you. And I'm telling you right now, fall is in the air here in my home state of Colorado. Just saw a barely, just a little bit of a dusting of snow over the weekend. Weather here in Denver, in the 40s, a little bit of rain falling. Leaves are starting to fall off the trees. Have to love the fall season, mostly because as nice as the weather is, and I actually like the weather, it also means we have a ton of things going in the world of sports. The baseball playoffs are going. College football is going. Pro football is going. The NHL is underway. The NBA is starting very, very soon. College basketball practices are getting ready to get going. Fall really is the perfect time of year. If you'd like to contact us, maybe let us know what you're looking forward to in the fall. We would love to hear from you. Hit us up on email, dailydosesports at gmail.com, or feel free to go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. Both of those handles are at dailydosesports. You know, one thing I need to mention right here, kind of forgot to mention this. I'm not sure where you listen to the podcast. Maybe you go and listen to it on iTunes. Maybe you listen to it on Stitcher or Podcast Republic. Maybe you go listen to it on our website, dailydosesports.wordpress.com, wherever it is. Just wanted to let you know, just throwing this out there for your information. The Daily Dose is now on Spotify. If you just want to go over and look up Daily Dose on Spotify, it will come up under podcast. I think every episode is there. If you'd like to just go check out the Daily Dose on Spotify, you can also listen to it over there. But if you'd like to contact us and, you know, maybe let us know where it is that you listen to it or where you would like to listen to it, let us know. We would love to hear from you. Hey, today on the show, we do have to take a look back at the weekend in football because, you know, Mondays are busy. We're recapping a lot of different things. We're touching maybe on Major League Baseball or maybe this past weekend on that UFC fight. Got a lot of things to discuss. We don't always get as much time to hit college and pro football quite as hard as we'd like to. On Tuesdays, we like to take a look at some of the winners and losers from the weekend. So we're going to be looking at some winners and losers from each college and pro football today on the show. Plus, as we usually do, we do have some breaking news that we need to get into, and let's jump into that right now. Let's get started over in Major League Baseball. We did have a few things take place last night of note. First off, the Houston Astros did sweep the Cleveland Indians. They move on to the American League Championship Series where they are now waiting for the winner of that New York Yankees-Boston Red Sox series. The Red Sox last night went to the Bronx, and honestly, we nearly needed the mercy rule in effect. They showed they can score too. They pound the Yankees 16-1 to last night. Hey, this series over in the American League, it looks like it is going to go all five games That is going to be very fun to watch as we continue that series. And then the Los Angeles Dodgers did finish off the Atlanta Braves last night in four games. They move on to the NLCS. They will be facing the Milwaukee Brewers. That series is going to get started on Friday this week. You know, in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns have actually made a move in their front office that kind of just shows why they continue to be the Phoenix Suns. Just eight days Before that regular season officially begins, the Suns went and fired their general manager, Ryan McDonough, from his role on Monday. Like I said, 
That's just a little over a week from when the NBA season starts. Now, the Suns have handed the reins to Vice President of Basketball Operations James Jones and Assistant General Manager Trevor Buckstein on an interim basis. They'll try to handle those duties for right now. Of course, McDonough was hired by the Suns back in 2013 in hopes that maybe he could build the Suns back up after they had lost Hall of Famer Steve Nash. Hey, he has brought some people to Phoenix, and I realize they're young, and I realize they haven't been very good lately, but he has put some pieces in place. He brought in Devin Booker. He brought in Josh Jackson, TJ Warren, Alex Lynn, Dragon Bender. DeAndre Ayton was just recently drafted this past season, and I realize that the Suns are in a rebuilding mode. The team has gone just 155 and 255 while he's been there, but this just kind of seems to be a Suns thing to do, doesn't it? Remember last year, the Suns went and fired head coach Earl Watson three games into the season? Really? You couldn't have figured out last spring. You had to wait until the season started and then just kind of put your season in disarray right off the bat. And now they're doing that again with their general manager. And I'm assuming that they're making this move because the Suns, whatever they've done, they haven't found that bona fide point guard. And maybe they feel like that was a failure on McDonough's part. But why do it now? You knew coming out of the draft, you didn't have a bona fide point guard. Go fire him then. You know, some teams just make loser moves and you can't quite put your finger on it. You just kind of know it when you see it. Firing your GM a week before the season starts just feels like a loser move to me. Not sure about the Phoenix Suns firing their GM right now. Hey, if you want to fire him, fire him. Not sure about doing it right now. Moving over to the NFL, congratulations to 39-year-old New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees, who breaks Peyton Manning's record of 71,940 yards passing last night. He actually passed both Brett Favre and Peyton Manning. The New Orleans Saints beat the Washington Redskins 43-19, and Brees threw for 363 yards and three touchdowns. You know, when you think back on the history of of this league to think that a six foot quarterback owns the all time passing record. I mean, it really is a pretty amazing feat. And just the accuracy that he has shown throughout his career, his ability to put the ball exactly where he wants it, make it a catchable pass. He has just done some phenomenal things in his career. So, congratulations to Drew Brees. Also in the NFL, Dallas Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett said that his goal in that overtime game on Sunday night of punting the ball on fourth and one on the Houston Texans side of the field, they were actually at the 42-yard line, was that he hoped to pin the Texans deep in their own territory, hold them to a punt, and maybe go win the game. Of course, we know now. The Texans drove downfield, they got the winning score, and they dropped Jason Garrett's Cowboys to two and three on the season. On Monday, Dallas Cowboys owner and general manager Jerry Jones and one of our favorite people thought his head coach should have made a different call. Here's what Jerry had to say. We were being outplayed. It's time for risks at that particular time. That's what Jones told reporters after the loss on Monday. Now, he also added, that he wasn't second-guessing his coach. Let me read that back. 
we were being outplayed. It's time for risks at that particular time. Yeah, that sounds exactly like second-guessing your coach. Not second-guessing your coach would be, yeah, Jason Garrett made the right call. End of story. That's it. Second-guessing your coach would sound a lot like it's time for risks at that particular time. Can Jerry Jones just please stop the charade? We know you're the one calling the shots. Just go out and fire Jason Garrett and name yourself the head coach. Why are we playing these silly games? It doesn't make any sense to me. I want Jerry Jones on that sideline running things. That would be amazing just to see Jerry over on the sideline. No idea where he's at. Headset on backwards trying to figure out what's going on. Please, Jerry Jones, fire Jason Garrett. Name yourself head coach. We know you're doing it anyways. Just make it official. We all want to see it. Hey, coming back, we need to get to the winners and losers from another busy weekend in both college and pro football. You know, we saw a couple of states, not just colleges, states have pretty rough days this weekend. And we just might see a couple of big five conferences get left out of the college football playoff this year. So like we like to do on a lot of Tuesdays, at least during football season, we like to take a look at some of the winners and losers from the past weekend in football. And we're going to start off over on the college side. Another interesting weekend in college football as we try to sift through what is going on and make sense of any of it. Who are actually the good teams? It's kind of hard to tell. Who maybe lost early and is still a good team, but maybe when they lost that game early, we thought, oh, they're done. Which teams are actually for real and which ones are maybe playing soft schedules? We kind of try to sort through all that. Let's take a look at some of the winners and losers from this past weekend in college football. I am going to give a winner out to a state that we had just listed as a loser a few short weeks ago. Yes, I am talking about that wacky state of Florida. Florida? But that's America's way. The state of Florida has actually bounced back in college football not all the way back, but to at least respectability. We know that Central Florida and South Florida keep winning. They're both undefeated. We also know they don't really play anyone. So who really cares? But the Miami Hurricanes are now 5-1 and one after that early season blowout loss to LSU. On Saturday, they beat Florida State, who has also not looked very good. But Florida State was up in that game and gave up a big lead. Now. That doesn't sound like a good thing. Like you look at Florida State and said, you were up, what, 27 nothing, and you lost 28-27? How is this good for Florida State? Florida State is at least showing some signs of improvement. They're actually competing in games. They're now 3-3, three and three, and that is something they weren't doing early on. They weren't competing in games. They weren't getting better. They looked like they didn't belong on the field. Miami gets the win. Florida State is starting to compete. That's a sign of both of these teams getting better. And then we also do have the Florida Gators who have now beaten ranked teams in back-to-back -back weeks for the first time since 2012. Hey, I have to give new head coach Dan Mullen a lot of credit for getting this group to improve and find ways to win. Here's the thing about the state of Florida. It has so much talent in it. Every state in the country is going down to Florida and recruiting 
those kids, it doesn't make any sense that the top programs in the state of Florida shouldn't be really, really good. They should be good every single year. Started off slow. It looks like they're starting to improve and get things turned around. On the other side of the coin, we have the state of Oklahoma. And we need to talk primarily about their defenses because the state of Oklahoma let more young men score on Saturday than a house full of Kardashians on Saturday. Of course, we know the number seven Oklahoma Sooners were upset by the Texas Longhorns, despite the fact that Oklahoma scored 45 points on the road. You would think if you go into hostile territory, you put up over 500 yards and 45 points. That should be enough to get the win, shouldn't it? How'd you do this weekend? Put up 500 yards. That's pretty good. How many points did you score? 45. That's pretty good too. Did you win? Nope. Sure didn't. Now, why wasn't that enough to get the win? Because the Sooners also gave up 500 yards. Oh, and they also turned the ball over three times. How bad are things right now for the Oklahoma Sooners defense? On Sunday, it was announced they were firing defensive coordinator Mike Stoops. You know Mike Stoops. You know the brother of former head coach Bob Stoops. Yeah, the guy that got this program rolling again, they fired his brother this weekend. That's getting pretty bad. Now, can the Sooners rebound from that loss and get a spot in the playoffs? Well, now they're going to need a lot of help. It doesn't look great. It's not impossible, but they are going to need some help. It won't be easy for Oklahoma to get back into the playoff picture. But that wasn't it for the state of Oklahoma because not only did the Oklahoma Sooners lose, but their in-state rival, number 25 Oklahoma State, also got outgunned in another shootout by Iowa State. The Cowboys lose 48-42. to The mighty Cyclones from Ames also hung nearly 500 yards on grown man Mike Gundy. I'm a man! I'm 40! And his beautiful mullet. That ain't true! What in the world is going on in the state of Oklahoma? Suddenly you can't play anything resembling defense? I don't understand what's going on down there. Here's the thing. I thought you got rid of Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> Sooner State, you're better than that. Oklahoma defenses definitely get a loser this weekend. I am going to give a winner to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who beat the final ranked team on their schedule on Saturday when they beat number 24 Virginia Tech 45-23. to The Irish should be able to coast now with their remaining schedule. Here's what it looks like. Home against Pitt, home against Navy, at Northwestern, home against Florida State, home against Syracuse, and at Southern California. And here's the thing. With new quarterback Ian Book now taking over, I'm not sure the Irish are going to coast. They seem to be hitting their stride lately. He gives them so much big play potential. They don't have to grind out wins anymore. They can go out and blow the doors off of people now. And if that is the case, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Get ready. Notre Dame might be going to the college football playoff for the first time in their history. And yes, it is going to be a little bit tough to stomach. But it is a very real possibility Notre Dame gets a winner this week. So, who is a loser on the other side of that equation? Well, there's a very good chance that it could be a Big Five conference that loses because of Notre Dame. Or maybe two conferences. 
or maybe three conferences. You know, we've talked about it here on The Dose. The Pac-12 is definitely in danger of not getting a team into the playoff because they have just one remaining undefeated team, and that is the University of Colorado. So the Pac-12 could get left out in the cold, but now it could be more than just the Pac-12. If Notre Dame, who is, of course, an independent, would get into that playoff, who could get left out? The Pac-12 obviously comes to mind first, but would they put Notre Dame in over, say, an undefeated Clemson and knock the ACC out, who has not looked particularly strong, and Clemson has looked pretty inconsistent? And what would happen if an SEC team, say Alabama, goes undefeated and then loses in the SEC championship game to, say, Georgia in a really close game? Could that mean that the playoff committee would maybe leave out the Pac-12, the ACC, and maybe also the Big 12? You see what I'm saying? You know, this top four thing is pretty cool, but it gets pretty tough when you have five major conferences. Someone gets left out automatically, and then what if you throw in an independent? And then what if you throw in two teams from the mighty SEC? I don't know. I wonder if maybe we just need this to happen so that then they have to expand it to eight teams. Maybe we need Georgia and Alabama to get in. Maybe we need Notre Dame to get in. And then, I don't know, they take Ohio State and every other conference is mad because then maybe we end up getting eight teams. I just want more games, but I'm just selfish that way. Now, I'm going to give our final winner to my home state, who I know I tend to bash for their college athletics. Yes, this is a total homer pick here, but I'm going to give a winner to the state of Colorado this weekend. Now, it's not that the state of Colorado is great. I don't think they are. Colorado is still undefeated after they pushed their record to 5-0 and on Saturday. They got a win over Arizona State. The problem I have with Colorado, they still haven't played a ranked team. Now, next up for Colorado should be an interesting test. They go to Southern California. Then they go to number 10, Washington. So we're going to find out very, very quickly how good Colorado actually is. But Colorado's win on Saturday wasn't actually the only win for my Centennial State. The Air Force Academy beat Navy 35-7 to for just their second win. And you know that's a big one. And I know nationally that doesn't play that big. But those games between military academies, they are hugely important to those military academies. Those are bragging rights for the year. So that was big for Air Force. But that wasn't it. Even Colorado State somehow managed to beat San Jose State. They pick up their second win of the season as well. Hey, we don't get to talk about collegiate success all that much in Colorado. So I'm going to take the chance when I get it. Because I know I'm probably not going to get it again. I'm going to give a winner to the state of Colorado this week. I'm going to give our final loser this week in college football. And I'm actually going to give it to college football, to all of us, to all of the fans of college football, to all of the players in college football, to all of the coaches of college football, because you might not realize it, but we lost John Gallardi this week. John Gallardi, who you might not know the name, was actually the winningest coach in college football history. He died over the weekend at the age of 91. You know, he actually began his coaching career back in 1949. He coached for six decades at Division Three. St. John's University in Minnesota. Now, Gallardi used really unconventional coaching methods. He had no tackling in practice. He didn't do calisthenics. He didn't do whistles. He didn't do wind sprints. 
He didn't have one or two team captains. He made his entire senior class team captains so that they could put it on their resumes later. He insisted that his players called him John, not coach. This was all at a school that doesn't even offer scholarships. And you might not be familiar at all with Gallardi, and it's understandable if you're not because, like I said, he coached at a Division three school, but there's actually a book written about him titled The Sweet Season by Austin Murphy, and it tells this story, and he really was. He was a different guy. He liked to do things like the beautiful day drill where guys laid on their backs and just looked at what a beautiful day it was outside. He also did the rub your tummy drill, which is actually exactly like it sounds. I'm not even kidding. He coached his quarterbacks up and then he let them call their own plays because he said their minds are sharper than mine. And it gave them an investment on the plays that were being called. He taught family. He taught working smarter, not harder. He had a great dry sense of humor. And don't forget this, John Gallardi won. He retired with a record of 489, 138, and 11. He actually surpassed Eddie Robinson for career wins in 2003. He won four national titles at St. John's. The world of college football is going to miss a guy like John Gallardi. Hey, coming back, we need to switch over to the NFL. Got some winners and losers over there too. NFL refs are making our list yet again. And you know what? One rookie quarterback is looking a lot better than we thought he would. Now, I'm not talking about that one. No, I'm not talking about that one either. A different one. Just a quick reminder that if you have any shopping to do, you might want to head over to lootcrate.com forward slash daily dose where you can find the latest pop culture collectibles featuring your favorite TV shows, your favorite movies, and your favorite video games. October's Loot Crate theme is now out. It is called Cursed, Haunted by Dark Spirits and Evil Creatures. Sorry, but it sounds like you've been cursed. Fight back against your regrettable fate with an exclusive collection of accursed gear. October's Loot Crate theme features items from Attack on Titan, Gremlins, Evil Dead 2, and American Horror Story. Looks like they are getting ready for Halloween over at Loot Crate. But if none of those franchises interest you, remember, you can go to Loot Crate and choose from a huge selection of crates, a monthly subscription of crates, or just individual items. And they have so many things over there, they are sure to have exactly what you need. Of course, the best part about ordering from Loot Crate, when you check out, be sure you type Daily Dose in the coupon box. We are going to get you 10% off of your order, just as a little thank you for listening to The Daily Dose each and every day. So let's continue with our winners and losers from the NFL this past weekend. Again, kind of an unpredictable weekend in the NFL. Number of games we thought we knew how they were going to go didn't actually go that way. Let's take a look at some of the winners and losers. Now, my first winner, I am going to give to the Los Angeles Rams, sort of, I'm going to give it to the Los Angeles Rams offense. And I know it would be easy to say that maybe that Rams defense might have been exposed this week. Their defense gave up nearly 400 yards to the Seattle Seahawks, an offense that, hey, they haven't looked great this year. Their offensive line can't block anybody. Somehow, Russell Wilson kept making plays, and they scored some points on the Rams. Yes, that is a bit of a concern. Maybe, not sure, maybe there's a little bit of a blueprint how you could possibly slow down the Rams. But this Rams offense is getting a winner this week because they just have so much speed. They just have so many weapons. Do you realize the Rams offense is putting up nearly 500 yards and almost 35 points a game? How do you stop them? Brandon Cooks, 
is proving to be more than just a deep threat. He can actually run some routes. He can actually do some things. He can catch those slants and turn them into big games. Cooper Cup, your possession receiver. Robert Woods, another burner. Oh, and by the way, you still have to worry about running back Todd Gurley, who will run you over if he needs to. Pick your poison. Because unless the Rams were to have some sort of an injury, this Rams offense, it's almost unstoppable. Now, like I said, could that defense end up being a concern? Could you maybe control the ball and keep that offense off the field? I think that's everybody's only hope right now. I'm going to give a winner to the Rams, well, at least to their offense this week. I am going to give a loser to NFL kickers, well, except for Carolina Panthers kicker Graham Gano. We'll make that exception for Graham Gano because on Sunday with six seconds left, trailing by one, he hit a 63-yard field goal to give the Panthers a 33-31 to stunning win over the New York Giants. Here's a clip from the Panthers.com Spanish radio call, and I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, it is spectacular. Yeah, so we'll make an exception for Graham Gano, but other than that, NFL kickers are really struggling. Now, we did also see Cleveland Browns kicker Greg Joseph give his team that 12-9 win in overtime, but did you see that kick? It was a 37-yard kick, and it was a knuckleball that barely cleared the crossball. That's the end of the good news for NFL kickers. Because Green Bay Packers kicker Mason Crosby, he missed five kicks, four field goals, and an extra point. NFL kickers have already missed 13 extra points this season. And on the season, they're hitting just 81% of their field goal attempts. It seems like every single week, we see big kick after big kick being missed by NFL kickers. Why are we seeing this decline in kickers? I mean, we're seeing more soccer being played all the time. Why aren't they better? We know they can kick it farther, and we know that they're pretty accurate. It's just sometimes on big kicks, we are seeing them miss. You know what I'm wondering? I'm wondering if we are starting to see more head cases as kickers in the NFL. Because you know what we've seen? We see them miss an extra point in a game, and they just seem to melt down. Now they can't hit anything. All of a sudden, they have a case of the yips. Hey, give me someone like Justin Tucker, and that's probably about it, because anyone else... I don't have a ton of faith in them. NFL kickers definitely take a loser this week. I'm going to give a winner this week to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And no, I'm actually not giving them this just for beating the Falcons 41-17. to As much as I am for beating the Falcons 41-17 to after holdout running back Le'Veon Bell said he was going to come back in a few weeks. I don't know, I guess if he feels like it. The Steelers went out on Sunday... They put up almost 400 yards and running back James Conner rushed for 110 yards and two touchdowns. Now, maybe this is all just a coincidence. Maybe the Falcons defense is just awful. I'm sure it is. No question about that. But also, maybe the Steelers finally put their best foot forward, went out and executed a little and just kind of said, hey, 
Le'Veon, we are okay without you. We're going to move on without you. And for that reason, I'm going to give the Steelers a win this week. I'm going to give a loser, and I have to give a loser to NFL refs. The problem I'm having with the refs is just the inconsistency. Because I've told you, I can't blame them for much. We've asked them to do way too much. We've asked them to see way too much. They can't possibly see all the silly rules that the NFL puts in for them to see. But one of the things that I saw this weekend was, did you see the non-call in the Baltimore Ravens versus Cleveland Browns overtime game? Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield, he throws the ball up to wide receiver Jarvis Landry and a Ravens defensive back just knocks him down. No flag, no call. The refs huddle up, they kind of talk about it, and they say, well, the ball is uncatchable. Well, every ball is uncatchable if you just knock the guy down, isn't it? He was nowhere near the ball. Ball's uncatchable. Well, yeah, so I just go out there with a machete and take the guy out at the legs. But that actually isn't what even bothered me. It wasn't the on-field refs that I had the problem with. After the call, they went to the referee in the booth and they asked him, why was there no call made? We understand that the ball might have been catchable, but why not an illegal contact play? Why not a defensive holding play? His response was, well, the ball was already in the air, so you can't call that. Now, I understand the official in the booth is trying to back his guys. He used to be one of them. He knows what it's like. He knows their pain. He knows their struggles. It's okay to just say, yeah, I don't know. They missed that. Because if you're telling me, well, once the ball's in the air, we just can't do anything about it. As a defensive back, as soon as that ball goes in the air, I'm just throwing you on the ground. Don't give me that. You know you could have called illegal contact. You just chose not to. And then the booth official chose to back you up. That seems more like silly stuff. That seems more like what we see with Major League Baseball umpires. Just tell us the truth. We know what we saw. You can't try to convince us of something else. And for that reason, I'll give a loser to the NFL refs. I still think the league has just asked them to do way too much. I am going to give a winner, and I'm going to give a winner to a rookie quarterback this season. You know, so far, we have seen some bright spots for a few rookie quarterbacks. I mean, New York Jets quarterback Sam Darnold wishes he could play the Denver Broncos every single week. Baker Mayfield, he looks like he might end up being more Drew Breesish than Johnny Manzelish. Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills, he won a game on Sunday passing for 83 yards. So, I mean, there's that. But one guy that has quietly looked pretty good for a really terrible, awful team is a guy that I haven't had much faith in. Arizona Cardinals rookie Josh Rosen. So far in the year, he has just two touchdowns. He has one interception. But his quarterback rating of 74.5, that's quite a bit better than what Sam Bradford was doing. He's also averaging six and a half yards a pass. Again, way better than what Sam Bradford was doing. The problem for Josh Rosen, he just doesn't have any help down in Arizona. But on Sunday, he did lead the Cardinals to their first win. Granted, it was against the awful San Francisco 49ers. Hey, the Cardinals aren't going to get any better. They're not going to go on some sort of a run. But Rosen has been a little bit of a bright spot. You can look at Josh Rosen and say, hey, maybe the Cardinals have a quarterback that they can eventually build around. And for that, I will give him a winner. I am going to give my final loser to another young quarterback. And I am going to give that to Houston Texans quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Now, why in the world would I give a loser to Deshaun Watson? I love Watson. I love the way he plays. And his Houston Texans got a win on Sunday night against the Dallas Cowboys 
for that all-important Texas title. But I'm going to give a loser to Deshaun Watson because this kid does everything he can to win. And I love that. Like I said, he's a winner. What I don't love is the fact that I am seeing Deshaun Watson taking way too many chances and taking way too many hits. We saw him take a few big hits on Sunday night. And after the game, we hear his teammates praising him, saying he's a warrior. And he talks about, hey, that's just how it is. I'm going to put it on the line if I have to. And what that tells me is as much as I like Deshaun Watson, as much as I'm cheering for Deshaun Watson, he's going to have a very short career if he doesn't change that mentality. That doesn't work at this level. The NFL will knock the career right out of you. Be smarter, Deshaun. Get down. Go out of bounds. Slide. Don't go lowering your shoulder. You might win the battle. You might score the touchdown. But I promise you, I have history to back me. You will lose the war. And eventually, your career will be gone because physically, you can't run over NFL defenses. Not at that quarterback position. It just doesn't work. Be smarter, Deshaun Watson. You know, we say that a lot here on The Daily Dose. That's starting to turn into our slogan. Be smarter. Listen to The Daily Dose. Be smarter, Deshaun Watson. Get down. Hey, tomorrow on The Daily Dose, we will be bringing you the latest and greatest in the world of sports news. Plus, I think we just might have some Daily Dose Hump Day Power rankings for you. You never know what we might be ranking this week. I say thank you all so much for listening to The Daily Dose. For all of you that share the show, that tell your friends, that email us, that text us, that message us. Thank you so much. It is appreciated. I have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great Tuesday. <laughs>